Secretox. You can't touch this by MC Hammer. Jonathan Chan, who are you? Uh, I am. I'm one of your friends, David. Yeah. Uh, and we met at Image Comics. I'm the old production manager. Uh, been with Image for a long time, like 12 years. Came up through the production department. So, uh, yeah, done done production stuff for a long time. And now you're free to go to Warriors games and talk about rap music with me. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> life is good right now. Two championships in three years. Gotta love it. Yeah, right. And it's actually on on uh, brand that you chose MC Hammer for this one because he's a Bay Area guy. Um, he shouts out Oakland in the song. But why did you choose You Can't Touch This? Uh, I love that you're probably going to have no idea where this is going to go. Yeah. I think about like how so much of music growing up is like kind of a reflection of your life. You can always link it back to what's going on in your life and, and uh, it just takes you back to that place. So every time I hear this song, this kind of takes me back to this time. And for me, this is... Uh, God, I, we figured out what it came out in early 1990. Yeah, January 13th. And it, a big part of the song kind of solidifies where I was uh, growing up at the time. Um, just with my age, 1990, January 1990, puts me at like 13 years old. So at that point is, and I don't know, I don't exactly know where kids start discovering music. I mean, there's at some point that I was learning about music, but it was everything that my dad had listened to. So I'm reaching a point now, like in kind of junior high time, you know, going into high school where like I finally get to make music decisions. And the place that we lived at had like really terrible reception. So like I couldn't get any like alternative rock stations or rock <laughs> stations or anything like that. But I could get like hip hop rap stations where I was. So partially by default, I started falling kind of into that genre of music. But I still didn't know like what I liked or whatever. It's still, you know, again, it's still part of this discovery. Was that KMEO? Uh, for me, it was, it was like FM 102.5, which at the time was a Sacramento Bay station. Okay. From where I lived, that was actually the best station I could receive. So it was like better than like San Francisco stations, even though <laughs> I lived a lot closer to San Francisco. Uh, the other thing that's going on at this point in my life is I grew up playing competitive tennis. So when I was 12 years old, I was doing very well. I was like ranked like six in Northern California. I, I, had a, I had a sponsorship deal with Wilson already. I was playing national tournaments and I was ranked like 78 in the country. The weird thing is I'm also one of those kids that has no idea how good they are or anything. All I knew is I went out and I practiced and I was good and I'd go to these tournaments and I'd play kids and I'd beat them. I don't, I don't think anything of it. It's just like, this is what I do. Right after I'm turning 12, going into 13, it's like I fell off a cliff. And I don't know if it's like self-awareness or what, but all of a sudden I started like losing all these matches that I shouldn't be losing. So I don't know anything other than, hey, I was good a year ago. And then all of a sudden I'm like not beating people. Right around this time is like I'm 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 still getting formal training, but I think there's something inside me that kind of clicks and is like, hey, it's not just like going out and doing this. You really got to pay attention to like things that you're actually doing because now you're you know it, it's like it's sort of like the floor fell out from underneath me, like, and I, I didn't understand why. But right around this time is where I'm starting to pay more attention to training and going to different coaches, and it's not just now about 
you know, practicing hitting a forehand or a backhand. It's about like, what do you do before matches? What do you do after matches? What do you do between matches? And I remember one of the things I was working on was a coach introduced me to the concept of pre-match rituals. So now it's like, now I'm learning about mindset and psychology and putting yourself into like, you know, going into a game prepared, not walking on a court and just kind of walking my way through it and figuring it out. It's like, no, you walk on like being ready like an hour ago. So when You Can't Touch This came out, it did multiple things for me. It was, it was like a sound that I enjoyed. It was, uh, you know, like you talked about, like repping Oakland Bay Area. And it was also kind of one of the first times that I felt like somebody was from somewhere close by. Like I knew where Oakland was. I don't know where a lot of these other places are. And it's like going big and it's going national and everybody loves it. And then on top of that, because of the message and the confidence in the music, something latched onto me where I was like, this got me like amped up, but it also got me in this mind state of like, okay, I'm gonna go out there and I'm not gonna lose. Like that, you know, this guy's gonna have to beat me, but I'm not gonna lose. And it became my pre-match ritual to listen to that song. And, and one of the things I really focused on was, you know, you, you, you play these tournaments and you win and you advance and you start playing better and better competition. So whatever, I lose in the finals, I lose in the semifinals. Um, no big deal, you know, because if, if I get beaten, they're really good. But what I didn't want to do is lose first round in those matches to people who I, you know, obviously shouldn't be losing to. So the big goal for me was like, I'm listening to You Can't Touch This, I'm going on this court and I'm going to take care of business. I'm going to beat the guy I'm supposed to beat. Yo, I told you, you can't touch this. Why you standing there, man? You can't touch this. Yo, sound the bell, school is in, sucker. You can't touch this. And what's funny is once that song came out and I started listening to it and it became my pre-match ritual, I went on a like, it was something like a 24 or 26 match like win streak where I did, where I took care of business and I didn't lose like those first round matches. And it's because of that, that like, you know, I talked about the floor falling out from underneath me. It's also where I started getting my legs back. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like that slow turnaround climbing up that hill again but slowly building that confidence of like, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna take care of business and you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I'm supposed to do. And then like I said, it was just also a sound that I enjoyed and it was kind of finding that identity of music that I, that I loved. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it encapsulates so many different things about my life at that point that I can kind of point to this one song going, it's like the fulcrum for all these changes. Yeah. That's wild. I had no idea about any of that. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I know you're listening to the song, and you're listening to the lyrics, and you listen to the words, and you're like, what is he going to pull out of this? And it's just, and I'm thinking, like, David has no idea yeah. that it's really just a symbolic kind of, you know, encapsulation of, of, of this pivotal point, like, in my life. But I love that it's this song because, um, like, You Can't Touch This was super cool when I was a kid. Like, everyone loved it. And then there was that weird phase where, like, Hammer was a punchline. Oh, yeah. Like, even up until, like, Jay-Z made fun of Hammer a couple albums ago. But I was listening to this song today for a couple hours just to, like, get ready for this and try to, like, outthink you. <laughs> and I was like, this song is still a jam. Like, it, it, the lyrics are great. The music video is just a dancing video, which I love. And it's just, like, a good song. It, it also reminds me of just the time when... Um, Music was just fun. And not yeah. to say that music isn't fun now, but I feel like so much, and, and I partially blame this on just obviously the commercialization of music and all these types of things, but I feel like 
it, it almost feels like you can't have a song come out anymore that just goes, oh, it was just about having fun. Because people mm. will be like, no, 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 there's got to be something deeper. There's got to be <laughs> something more. And it's like, and it's, you know, and you also look back at it and it's got the parachute pants and it's got the look of the time. Yeah. And I also just feel like it's a thing where like, you know, obviously, like, I mean, all of it's a little bit of, of a play of the time, but I just feel like someone can do that anymore. Mm. Someone would do that and someone's agent would be like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. We cannot do a thing that might get risk making fun of later. And, you know, who knows? Maybe 20 years from now, we're looking at looks of today going like, that's, that was silly. Why did we do that sort yeah. of thing? Um, but that's another thing that I love about that is, is it was a good time. It was a party. And, like, anybody that listens to that and loves that has embraced that, right? It's just like you hear that and you know it's just a good time. And, yeah. you know, you just let go and you have fun with it. Just for a minute, let's all do the ball. Yeah. Can't touch this. And why was it this song instead of anything else uh, from around that time? Like I think like Fresh Prince was blowing, Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff were blowing up. Yeah, I think, I think again going back to the radio thing, mm -hmm. like it, you know going to these tennis tournaments with my dad, it was a lot of long car rides, and you know he wants me to be in a place where I'm getting ready to play or you know happy to play. So we're just put on the radio, and this thing was on the radio all the time. So it was one of those things where like I would hear it not by choice but just by coincidence and i'm going to play a match and then i play well and it's like and, and there is a, there is a thing that i continued throughout all of my playing career including college where i'm picking out songs to listen to you know before i go and play just like you know any athlete does these days so it's it's like you have your pre-match soundtrack almost sort of thing and you're like i don't want to listen to these slow tempo songs <laughs> i want to listen to these fast ones and sometimes you're like i don't want to listen to the song that's too fast because I need to come out at like a proper rate. Yeah. Um, but this one just seemed to work and it would be in my head and I'm like, when I started winning with it, it's like, I'm not gonna change my winning ways. Let's just keep <laughs> keep playing this one over and over. It was toaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the hilarious thing is that I also remember, like it was so big that other, other people would certainly, you know, would adopt it, I'm sure for their, you know, pre-match rituals or whatever too. And there was one match, it was uh, these two players that were, they were kind of a, um, what do you call them? like arch rival sort of thing, right? Like, yeah. like one guy was always ranked ahead of this other guy, but the better player could never beat him. It was like the, that one guy, there was just something about that matchup. And that, that guy, you know, he was ranked, I think one guy was ranked like five and the other guy was ranked like 14. But the guy that was 14 would always win every time. <laughs> so there was one match that they were playing kind of in this, you know, key central matchup and everyone's watching the match going on. and. And they're, they're battling back and forth, and the guy that's ranked number five has got the upper hand, and you think he's going to win, and the number 14 guy just, like, battles back, and he wins the match in some this hotly contested thing. And, you know, per tennis etiquette, you go up and you shake hands after the match. It's a gentleman's game, right? <laughs> so they walk, up to the court, they walk up to the net, and they're about to the shake hands, and the number five guy reaches out to shake hands, and the number 14 guy reaches out, and just as the number five reaches in, 14 pulls his hand back goes, up. Ah! Can't touch this. And starts <laughs> dancing around the court in victory. Break it down. To which everyone in the stands <laughs> let out the loudest collective groan and turn their back. Like, we cannot watch how embarrassing this is. To which the guy dancing on the court is sort of looking around like, why is everybody not enjoying this spectacle? <laughs> oh, man, I, I remember that vividly. And I was, you know, that was kind of one of those weird, like, you know, you're taught good sportsmanship. And that's, that was a little much. Yeah, a little much kind of the opposite. Yeah. <laughs>
More, see more sports and tennis memories around. You can't touch this. <laughs> That's great. So, last question. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite part of this song? Like, what's the part where you're just like, man, this is such a good song? Oh, you know, it's the right at the end when he's talking about he toured around the world from London to the Bay, and then he just kind of fires into that like fast, repetitive section, yeah. and. You know, for whatever reason, it's right in there that just hammers it home for me, uh, pun intended. Um, <laughs> or I'm just like, that, that rapid fire, you know, pace. It was just like, okay, that did it. That, that punched it home for me. I pulled around the world from London to the bay. It's hammer go, hammer, empty hammer, yo, hammer, and the rest can't go in play. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. Speaker talks.